Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. Hi guys, welcome back to the Beyond Fit podcast. This is your host, Jake Parker. Today, I have a one of my recurring guests back on the show, Max Knott. You probably most recently heard him, eh, maybe it was like up upwards of a year ago at this point, but I think you've been on twice before. Uh, Max and I have become pretty good friends over the past couple of years, just meeting on Instagram and working on business stuff together and just shooting the shit. So we wanted to talk today specifically a little bit about Max's change in identity and focus in his life, and then a, a few takeaways for you guys on his automated fitness habits and how he stays engaged in the fitness game and how he hits some of those big rocks while still focusing on other things. Um, but inevitably, we're going to kind of go everywhere. So I'll let Max kind of give a little bit of an intro on his side. We'll let us know kind of what he's been up to since you were last on the show, if you can kind of remember more or less, and just a little bit about who you are if no one's ever heard you on here before. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's see if I can <laughs> come up with a good intro off the cuff. Um, I was previously doing a lot more fitness coaching. I got into that because I was able to build a following through posting about fitness and nutrition on Instagram over several years. And my niche within the industry has always kind of been sustainability and lifestyle oriented fitness where you're able to make real progress, but you actually keep it and can focus on you know, living a real life as opposed to dedicating your entire life to fitness. So that was sort of the crux of my coaching and my focus within the industry. And uh, last year, I shifted from coaching to building a startup called Wellby, which we're still working on. It's less of a main focus for me, but we're definitely still building that slowly over time. And that also sort of focuses on that side of fitness and just building habits and uh just creating the right behaviors in life to automate fitness, like Jake kind of mentioned earlier. Now, uh, I recently started a full-time position with a startup based in San Francisco, where I'm actually doing influencer marketing. So far different from fitness, but not so different from my own experience, what actually got me into fitness, or at least the channel for which I got into fitness. Um, but yeah, still coaching a little bit on the side and still very passionate about fitness and nutrition and health in my personal life. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be talking yeah. about that today with you, Jake. So I just, uh, I just looked on the podcast feed real quick. Cause I was curious. It looks like last time you were on was February of 2020. So about a year, really? a couple months ago. Yeah. It seemed like longer than that, huh? So the first time must've been even like six to 12 months before then. Cause I know you were one of like the first 10 or 20 people I had on the show. So, uh, yeah, it's been a while Crazy. since we've recorded a podcast. Um, I think that one of the interesting things to talk about and something that you, you and I have talked about a little bit is how did you go from where you're at now working in a job, for, which would be the first time formally, right? As far as I understand it. Yes. And that transition from working for yourself and knowing that if you wanted to, you probably could have continued to work for yourself, but what the decision was like in taking that route as opposed to the other, because you know, how I initially knew you getting on Instagram and trying to do my own thing in like 2018, 2019, you were very hard into the coaching game, 
posting on Instagram multiple times a day and you've changed that a lot. So how have the two kind of changes happened congruently like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't at least somewhat due to fear and kind of insecurity. I felt like if I really wanted to continue pushing myself to be a coach and be an entrepreneur, I could have gone that route. But after a certain point, it felt like I was forcing it and not enjoying it as much as I should be. And I'm also, I just more recently come to believe that you know, you don't have to have your life planned out several years ahead. You don't have to force a certain life path just because you've decided it's for you and you've kind of come to identify with it. That was a definitely not an easy shift for me to make. But once I could kind of come to terms with that idea that maybe being the fitness entrepreneur wasn't who I had to be, or at least not at this point in my life, I could kind of step back and be like, well, what do I want to try? And, and is it worth going into a full-time role. Like, I, I guess I don't rule out the fact that one day maybe I would like to be full-time in the role of running my own company or being even in the fitness industry. But for now, I, I just kind of decided that I want to be open to other paths. And if something else feels like it's it makes more sense at this time and it's worth my giving a fair shot and it's another area that I can learn from and, and grow in and at the, like, the enjoyment, I think, has to be a staple, too. I'm definitely enjoying my position, which was really important to me. I, I definitely couldn't be in a job that I didn't actually like and feel good at and feel passionate about. So I tried to be as sure of that as I could in finding a position. But um, and yeah, I attribute that to like starting as an entrepreneur and taking that away from it. But yeah, yeah I'm sort of all over the place with this answer. But it's it's a little bit of insecurity and wanting to make sure, you know, I have that steady income. And also just being open to trying a new path and seeing what I can take away from that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the interesting things you said there is how you feel passionately about your job and you enjoy your job. And the thing that strikes me is that I think it's easy for people like you and I who have spent most of our, you know, working career so far, which is obviously um, just kind of getting started, but getting to do things that we enjoy and getting to do things that we're passionate about. Whereas we're maybe in the 10 to 20% of people who might say that they feel that way. Like, for example, I know that you and I probably have friends that are similar in the sense that they went and got this degree in, you know, whatever certain thing in college, business, science, whatever it is. And then they go and they get a job in the field and they find that it's not something that really gets them excited to go to work every day. It's nice to go to work and make money and get a paycheck. But I think that finding what's going to be your thing, not that that always has to stay stagnant, but is a real big blessing. And like, especially myself, I know that I was kind of thrust into kind of going into what I care about and am passionate about because I started an office job right after college in the like first half of 2019. And I got fired after like three months. And that was a big, big wake up call of like, I just can't do this office thing. Like basically there was no hard feelings or anything. It was just one of those situations where the job was so strict and uh, outcome driven where you do this from this time and these are your roles. And I just could never jive with that sort of thinking. And so I look back at it, you know, it's all interesting how you always just narrate your life, but I look back at it now and it's like, I'm glad that that happened. So it kind of pushed me closer towards the life that I want to live and the type of job that I want to do. 
Right. No, that's interesting. I actually didn't know that about you. What was the position? Um, basically doing digital marketing. So going and placing digital advertisements online. It was, uh, I don't know, it was, it, it was a good company. Like I never have anything bad to say about them, but it just was obvious that it wasn't the right fit. And luckily, I think it became obvious to me that, hey, I got to go find a different path. And since then, like worked a lot of part-time jobs, posted a lot on Instagram. And obviously I've started the coaching thing, but it's been, uh, I think, I think the biggest change for me has been since college, just having to learn and having to try to get good grades and do what I'm told. Whereas since then I've kind of undertaken my own self-education and learned how to communicate better. Obviously learn more about health and fitness, trying to learn about psychology and human behavior and just all things that I think are going to help me carve out a career path that is more in line with what I, what I am passionate about. That's fantastic. I, what I really like about the way you're talking about this is that I almost feel like that story beginning is similar to a lot of stories that you hear on Instagram or YouTube, mm -hmm. where it's like, I had this job and the boss was terrible and I quit and started my, my business and became a millionaire within a year. And it doesn't have to go that way in order for it to be a quote unquote success. Like you can use that experience as fuel to start a business, sure. Or you can use it to find a different career path, working for a different company that you like more and respect more, or you could mm -hmm. do some kind of combination of the two. It's like the, the different path doesn't have to be this polar opposite thing where you take storybook charge of your life and become this massive entrepreneurial success. And I, I almost think that's like this black and white narrative that people kind of position on Instagram, but it's, it's rarely that simple and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And the one thing I never accept for myself is blaming other people for my misfortunes or blaming other people for, you know, I wasn't like they didn't see my potential or they were assholes or whatever. They were, there was a ton of nice people at that job, but it was just obvious that it wasn't working out and we had a good conversation to end it. And like, it's, it's not something where a lot of people I think would take that and be like, Oh, that's the fuel. You got to show them they were wrong. But one of the things about me and it's, it's, I don't know that I would necessarily call it a weak point, but it's definitely a very, um, firm part of my personality that like, I don't really have that killer edge that a lot of entrepreneurs have, where like, I just want to win at all costs. One of those people who's like, I've always been super competitive. Like, right. I'm not like that at all. I just, the reason I want to be an entrepreneur and do my own thing is just because it's, it's really important to me to glean meaning from what I do, because that's what helps me to stay engaged. That's what helps me to feel like I'm having a meaningful life. But I think that one way I'm really different from a lot of people is a lot of, like I said, entrepreneurs, you'll see be that firm, like I'm the most competitive person in the room. I'm going to grind and grind and grind. And I'm like, definitely more so the, the feeling kind of spacey kid. And I just want entrepreneurship because it allows, because of the freedom, I guess, that it allows me more than anything else. Yeah. I, I totally resonate with that. I, I wonder when I see people talking like that, what percentage of it is truth and they really feel that way versus it's part of their brand and mm -hmm. they like the idea of appearing that way whereas in reality maybe they don't work any harder than you or I they just kind of attribute the level of work that they do put in to being this massive thing I don't know like maybe they mm -hmm. do just blow it up for the sake of optics well, yeah and you've probably felt that pressure too and like I felt the same pressure the hardest thing for me about trying to grow an Instagram page is like balancing authenticity and feeling like you want to sell someone who's a complete package and knows what they're talking about, because that's what someone wants out of a coach. But at the same time, what makes you resonate with a coach is that they're being honest about themselves. And, but it's, it's such a fine line because you can have that, uh, that blending of the line where it's like you get too 
open and sharing too much and where it's like feel bad for me and I'm I have this uniquely hard path or whatever it's like openness and honesty for its own sake is sometimes inappropriate like you wouldn't tell someone I, I'm not ever going to be the person who gets on Instagram and talks about that something that's going bad in my relationship or something like that because that's just so not something that's comfortable for me to share with a bunch of potentially strangers and I guess the the line between what's open and honest and what's too far and what's just inappropriate is is very blurry yeah that's a that's something I feel like I've like had the thought but never really put it into actual words even in my head but it's funny you say that because recently that's something I try to do a good job of is being really transparent on Instagram like when I was job searching a few months ago I, it took me a while to feel like comfortable sharing. And then I, I was in my head, I was like, oh, I'll wait till I have a job. And then I'll post and say like, oh, this was really hard, but now I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of <clears throat> came to the conclusion that that wasn't really fair. And that like, I'm sure there are a lot of people in a similar position to me. And it just, I think people would appreciate more knowing that I'm not in this perfectly solved situation in my life. So sharing like that was like the most successful, at least from an insights perspective, like post I've had in a while. And so many people were like reaching out to me individually, even saying they like really appreciated me saying that. But then, yeah, like there's definitely a line and it's tough to say where you draw that as far as sharing too much, where it becomes, it negatively affects your life versus sharing enough where people can still benefit from it. Yeah, I've, I've referred to it before as like smelling your own farts where it's like <laughs> some, some people want to be so vulnerable that it's like that's what they go after. And it's so hard because there isn't a clear distinction. And I'm someone who tends to be more private, but I don't know, it's, it's such, and again, it's, it's hard because there isn't an answer of like, how open do you be? And what, because I've, one of the things I've become fascinated with over the past couple of months in reading one specific book is how we narrate things. And especially like the, the job switch for me, it's something I narrate and I say, that was a good chance for me to pivot and realize that the office life wasn't for me, try to be more of an entrepreneur, but there you have to realize. And again, this is something that's come from practicing meditation for so long. Now it's like you, there's these objective events in your life and then you make meaning from them. Nothing is there's too many variables for anything to be a to b in this life and it's nice to narrate things because that helps us to understand and to make sense and to make meaning but nothing inherently has meaning in and of itself 99 percent of the things we think and that happen to us are just random and they're not actually one for one causations it's kind of like how uh if, if you're familiar with like the chaos theory well like the butterfly effect i definitely believe in that sort of thing and it's not something to put a lot of mental energy and time towards because it's so unmanageable, but it's really interesting to think about like, how can one chance occurrence change somebody's life? You know, when you, when you think about someone like Elon Musk or Steve jobs, you know, maybe they had one conversation or one moment in high school or something like that, that changed them forever. And you just don't know when that's going to happen, how that's going to happen. And so it's interesting for me to be aware of, but it's important not to become like obsessed with because it is just so inherently disorganized life is. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's such an interesting topic and it's like such a human thing to try and scrape meaning from all these things. I don't, I don't know. I I think in certain situations it is really helpful to do that. And then in other situations, it's really helpful to do the opposite and to, like you said, view them just as objective 
circumstances and not try and overthink them. But in the context of like a job search, for example, it's funny because creating a narrative with your job history is like what you should be doing. It's how you give an interviewer a stronger perspective on who you are and why you're a good fit for the job. So like I am what in my position now, having been an influencer and now being somebody who in influencer marketing is coordinating with influencers and trying to figure out what role influencers can play in an effective marketing strategy that like feels like a really strong proposition to a future interviewer saying that, you know, I've been on both sides of the equation. I have this 360 degree perspective. Whereas in reality, like my life didn't happen in the format of this story where first I decided to be an influencer. Then I decided mm -hmm. to be an influencer marketer. It's sort of just like me taking these things that happened, pushing them together and having it make sense, not just to somebody else, but also in my head and, you know, trying to curate this future story that also fits into this narrative. Whereas I'm sure one day some random event or conversation, like you said, could happen where I change paths again completely. And it's, I, I think I'm coming to believe more that it's important to be open to that kind of thing and, and not shape your identity to fit this one narrative. Mm -hmm. And another set of conversations I've had recently with friends centers around just the fact that you know the the more you and it it can be in a religious in a religious context it doesn't have to be but sometimes you know as you get older like I definitely think a lot more about what makes life meaningful you know what are my overarching philosophies and stuff like that and the more I learn the more I see things as just random and kind of a a happenstance and you know you look more into issues that you think are a big deal whether that be like inequality, like some of the things that are very relevant in today's day and age, inequality, racism, stuff like that, climate change. And I think the same people that say, well, no, no one person can impact it. So it's useless are right. But also when you say that no one person can impact the world, or it's, it's like everybody has a small ability to impact the world, you're also right. So I think that you, you, it's important to glean meaning from your own experience because you can't look at it as, is it so big and random that I can't do anything, but you have to look at it is as life is so malleable that you kind of just do whatever you can and you do your best and you hope to enact the small change that you can. And just knowing that like, if everybody acted that way in a perfect world, that's how, that's how change occurs. Wow. <laughs> this conversation has gotten very, very esoteric. Yeah, but I, I like it. I'm I'm wondering what you think about this. I, I kind of go back and forth because have you read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor mm -hmm. Frankl? So I, I love that book and I, I think it's brilliant. And I, I don't, I think I, I always, until reading that book, thought about the pursuit of life or the main pursuit of life as being happy. And then obviously in that book, he challenges that by saying the real uh, meaning of life is to find meaning in life and to find something for which you can live and you know move yourself through challenges and actually survive through even the most like dire of circumstances so i wonder in in your life do you find it more valuable to live with the purpose of seeking happiness or with the purpose of seeking meaning or like how do you balance those i would say like it's it's kind of a mix of so what jumps to mind for me is like Epicureanism would like just the raw pursuit of pleasure is definitely important, but also something that I've thought a lot about and studied a lot about is just the stoic philosophy of trying not to let outside things impact you. And I guess, I guess the most obvious draw is like to my own career path and journey, 
where, like I said before, I don't, I'm not interested in entrepreneurship because I want to be a millionaire or a billionaire. I'm interested in entrepreneurship because I just want freedom to do whatever I want and to not have to make decisions financially or because some company wants me to. I think like in, in a past life, I would just be, you know, just a philosopher who just spends the whole day thinking. And like, <laughs> I, I, I love to just, one of my favorite things to do is just, I'm very much an armchair philosopher. I love to read and explore ideas. Like one of my favorite things to do is just like smoke a joint and just talk to somebody about completely random stuff like this. Cause there really is no answer. And so that's the type of stuff that is the most interesting to me. And so it, it's very hard for me to be like, I have to really force myself to be enterprising, to go out and try to make money and try to make a career path because I just want to learn and know new things. And so I guess I try to parlay that into something that is a marketable skill and a marketable thing that can help other people. But I'm just such a naturally curious person. I, I'm kind of forgetting like your question now and I'm going off on this tangent. But, no, I like this regardless. <laughs> um, as far as happiness first, I think that they kind of go hand in hand. Like another one of my biggest philosophies is just that you you have to discipline yourself in order to be happy so it's kind of like a two-sided coin I don't think anybody would be truly happy back kind of curtailing it more towards fitness like does it feel more immediately pleasurable to not work out and to sit on the couch and eat shitty food that is gonna make you fat yes that that feels better and that makes you happy short term I guess probably what I would how I'd answer the question is short term not unhappiness isn't the right word, but short-term uh, difficult choices and hard choices so that I can be happy long-term. I like that. There's a, okay. there's, there's a quote that I go back to a lot. Um, Jersey Gregorick, it was a guest on Tim Ferriss' show, and he is famous for, I believe, coaching Olympic athletes in some respect. And he has this quote where he says, um, I want to say, how does it go? Hard choices, easy life easy choices, hard life. So yes. it's, it's the most obvious you see, like it, it is such a good example in fitness because do I want to go to the gym every time and have a hard workout and eat foods that don't taste as good as heavily processed, you know, fat, fattening foods and stuff like that. Not necessarily, but it's an easy choice because I know how it makes me feel in the long term. Right. It's almost like when you talk about happiness, it's not this, uh, one dimensional thing. There's almost, there's like, I, delayed gratification is kind of the term that comes to mind, but I don't know if how synonymous gratification and happiness are, but it's almost like there's a form of happiness that you can receive from the chips on the couch and just being lazy and avoiding those decisions. And it's a lot sh uh, shorter lived and less meaningful. And then there's the form of happiness that comes from doing something meaningful. So it's almost like when you pursue meaning, there's a more valuable form of happiness that comes from that. It's just harder and you have to be much more deliberate in seeking it and also more patient and mm -hmm. consistent. And I've, I've probably said it a million times by this point, but I, I love when I get asked the question or someone says like, what are a couple of your favorite books? Cause to me, the two books that have most shaped me are the war of art by Stephen Pressfield, which I've talked about a lot on this podcast where he says that basically the, the message is to fight the resistance, fight the urge to do the easy thing, because that's going to make life more meaningful, which I 100% agree with. And then the other book is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, which I like because that was the first time I was really exposed to all these um, human emotions and where we came from and how people came to be, because it just showed me it made everything so obvious. 
And I think that maybe I don't spend enough time trying to explain it now because it is such an interesting concept. But why do we gossip? Why do we try to eat shitty food? Why do we, you know, do all these self-defeating things? It's because it's a survival mechanism to gossip about people when we lived in a hunter-gatherer tribe would make you closer and would give you more information on how to survive. And to eat calorie-dense foods would make it easier for you to survive. And to be open sexually, it would would make it easier to, um, you know, propagate your genes. Whereas now, doing things like doing the easy eating, eating the shitty food, having lots of sexual relationships, stuff like that is going to feel pleasurable immediately, but probably make you feel more empty in the long term and gossiping about people. And so it is like delayed gratification is the easiest and best word for it, because that is going to be so much better off. It's going to make you so much better off in the long term. You just have to master your own psychology and know that what you want isn't always going to lead you to the end goals that are going to make you happiest. Damn. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering then, like, from there, you could ask, because if as humans, we're designed to seek instant gratification for the sake of survival, what is the purpose of seeking delayed gratification and meaning? Like, obviously, from our subjective experience, that has kind of, you could argue that has proven to be the more valuable thing. And you know, when we are on our deathbeds, I think we will look back and like value having seeked for the most part, something like that, as opposed to constantly seeking instant gratification. But why do you think it's almost like as humans, what are we supposed to do is, mm -hmm. is my question. It's like a weird thing because what, what matters more, what we're designed to do or what we will be happy having done when we die. I think that for me, it's, it's pretty simple in the sense that we, we have emotions and feelings and desires that are not caught up with the world we live in. So we, we, can, we can now store wealth. We can now start families. We can now store food. But we have a mindset that still says there's a tiger around the corner that's going to get you. You don't know where your next meal is going to come from. So it's just understanding that we live in a world that is safe, but we have brains that are constantly telling us that we're not safe. That's why so many people have depression and anxiety. I, I One of the most interesting things that I always remember is talking to uh, one of my yoga teachers who he had a job working with, in some capacity, he was helping African refugees to get jobs in the United States. And he said that one of them, one of the questions in one of their jobs was how do you handle stressful situations? And he said that the this guy that came from, I don't know that it was necessarily an African tribe, but at least like a third world country, he, he didn't understand and they didn't have a word for stress because stress is something that you can only afford if you have enough comfort in life. And this guy was living day to day, surviving, protecting his family. He, he, was, he was focused on survival and trying to just live another day. And stress and anxiety and depression isn't something that people had back in those times because they were so focused on the present moment and they were focused on surviving. So like someone, another good example is like no one on the Oregon trail was stressed or was depressed or anxious. They were just like, how are we going to survive another day? So uh, an interesting way to frame your depression or anxiety, if you've ever battled with that, and it's not to say that it's not real or that it's not a very intense thing to struggle with, but be like, geez, it's almost, I'm almost fortunate to be able to have these feelings because it shows that I have so many things under control that I can be focused on like that existentialism and that self-actualization. This feels really well-timed because this morning I started an audiobook 
called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Oh, I've and heard it, about that. Yeah. And it's like exactly what you're saying, where it, other mammals, for example, don't. And also, I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert because I'm just sort of remembering a few sentences from this. But he talks about how other mammals don't get stress related illness because their experience of stress is like you said, like in the present moment and it's very temporary and it's Mm -hmm. based on survival. Whereas ours, you know, we experience stress. We have the ability to plan long-term and think about, reflect on the past and our stress can be based. It it can become chronic. Whereas other mammals just aren't capable of experiencing that. They, they aren't worrying about what's going to happen to them five years down the road, who they're going to be in a relationship with things like that. So, you know, we're not supposed to experience this long-term stress at least biologically and that's why it results in these illnesses in the long term so it's it's funny like what i'm curious is what role do you think and this is sort of a in some ways a rhetorical question but i would love to talk about it like what role do you think gratitude plays in that and making a practice out of gratitude um i think that it's it's very important to me what comes to mind is it's another one of those two-sided coins where the people that are most successful, I think I talked about this yesterday in the podcast with, with Phil White, that's going to come out uh, a week from, from yesterday when we're talking, where um, the people who are most geared towards success, part of the reason for that is because they're never satisfied. So it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, I'm more successful because I'm least, I'm less satisfied with myself, but I'm also less satisfied from successes. So I think it's important to try to appreciate and be grateful. And it is something you can get better at. It's a practice. But at the same time, some people are just less geared towards ever really finding um, a homeostatic level where, oh, I feel happy and I feel grateful for things. Um, Something I've tried to do ever since like 2019 and reading about, well, I got a five minute journal, which is basically to help you practice gratitude. And I'm not good about it every single day. I probably do it as about as consistently as meditation. So 60 to 70% of the time, I'll just try to write three things I'm grateful for from the day before. And that helps a lot. And I think that can help a lot of people. But at the same time, you have to understand that part of success is just always looking for those weak points and those points where you can do better. So it's, it's almost something to appreciate and also try to somewhat manage at the same time. But you never want to feel like you're done or that you're in this perfect place where you're going to be totally happy. I think one of the best examples and something that I talked about with uh, a counselor back in 2019 when I was graduating college and started having all these questions and having a lot of the thoughts that I still, that I feel like I've had some answers to, but still have questions to now is like the example of retirement. People that, again, speaking of those people who are the 80 to 90% of people who don't like their job, have this idea that one day I'm going to have all this money, I'm able to retire and do whatever I want. But it's like, why would you try to wait for that? Why not try to, it's, it's a good reference to like the four hour work week again, where Tim Ferriss talks about a series of mini retirements. But if you really like what you do, you should spend the, your entire life trying to have meaning and trying to not necessarily earn money, but do things that are um, enterprising and can help other people because that's just the, the natural thing for us to do, I think. Yeah. And what's also funny is that people who are oftentimes you hear about people who have this typical retirement, they end up in that place where they're not 
doing their job and they're, you know, they are retired and just are sort of relaxing in their old age, but they don't feel fulfilled anymore. They don't feel happy mm -hmm. because it's like, you're, you're just done. I don't know. It's a weird concept. I've always kind of thought that was weird. And that's why I like the four hour work week so much, even if you're not taking every single thing he says to heart on the like Uber entrepreneurial level, it's important to try and question this idea. I think of working your ass off for 50, 60 years of your life and then relaxing mm -hmm. and like then finding happiness. Cause it's, I don't know. It, like, what is the point of life if you're just waiting for that? I don't, but then it's also like, how does that relate to delayed gratification? I think it's mm -hmm. just the wrong interpretation of it, but. And not to mention yeah. that's the point where you're, you're in your worst health too. So I think that, I think that not that there's, again, it's not something that there's a direct answer to, but the best answer I would say is just to try to enjoy what you do and try to give yourself more leeway and free time to do things that you enjoy. But at the same time, balancing that out with saving money for the long term, doing things that are long term career oriented. I think another good example to health and fitness is like, I'm not going to tell you I never enjoy eating desserts and stuff like that because they're quote unquote bad for me. I, I've kind of come more around to that. Like, I think the the space that we've seen the most of on Instagram and one of the things that I used to believe very firmly was like, there's no unhealthy and healthy foods. And it's like, that's true to some extent, but it's easy to categorize things as that just based on, you know, is it inherently unhealthy? No. Is it easy to overeat and is it calorically dense and is it going to make you feel shitty? Well, then I guess we can categorize it as unhealthy. So I think where that lie, what, like where I'm going with that is I treat the 80, 20 rule of flexible dieting and the same way that I look at my life. Some 80% of the time I'm making long-term career choices. I'm trying to save money. I'm thinking about how to optimize my health for the long term. But 20% of the time I'm, I'm watching stupid stuff on TV. I'm gossiping with friends. I'm eating shitty food, but because I'm doing the right thing, 80% of the time, it's fine. So it's like eating those whole nutrient dense, protein rich, vitamin and mineral rich foods, 80% of the time makes it so I can eat ice cream and dessert and shit that I like the other 20% of the time, and it's going to balance out. So I think that's how I, I would encourage someone to live your life. You're not always going to, you can't expect perfection. You know, you're going to want to talk shit about people. You're going to want to go and blow a bunch of money on a vacation that you don't really have money for right now, but make sure that that is the exception to the rule instead of the rule. Yeah. Oh, that's a really cool parallel. I've, and I, I think that, really I think that kind of goes back to answering your question about like happiness versus meaning. It's like, it's not one or the other. It's just trying to do the right thing a large percentage of the time. So that the times you make a stupid decision, it doesn't impact you in, in such a way. Right. And it's like finding that balance of, living in line with your values and, you know, living an effective life where you are successful in more meaningful, maybe less immediately gratifying ways, but also that you are experiencing some immediate gratification. And that almost can help sustain you as opposed to trying to go all in on what would more ideally be this 80%. You make it a hundred percent. It's definitely not going to last. Same mm -hmm. with your diet. If you're trying to commit to chicken, broccoli, rice, 24, seven, it's never going to last. Eventually you're going to crash. So you might as well find this balance. That's still going to be effective. Might take a little longer to breed the results you're looking for, but at the end of the day, it's going to get you there. Whereas going all in probably won't. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that a good example is, and now I'm losing my train of thought. Um, <laughs> let me think here. 
I don't know. I totally lost where I was going with that. Um, happiness. 80, 20. Oh, like, so like, I, I remember what I was thinking of now. So a lot of when it, when I go and educate myself, one of the things, sometimes the, the hardest thing is educating yourself, but then seeing cognitive dissonance. So for example, like seeing over the past couple of years, how terrible of an effect alcohol really has on you. I definitely drink less frequently, like throughout the week and throughout the month, but I can't get over, like, I know that it's terrible for my body to go out and drink a dozen beers every now and then, but sometimes I just like to do it and have fun with my friends and act like an idiot. So that's like part of that 20% where I know that this is objectively bad for me, but at the same time, I'm getting that innate pleasure of like, oh, this is a fun experience. I'm letting loose. It's kind of like in some of the, I, some of the longevity studies that people talk about seem to not make sense on the face because it's like, I, I'm, I'm not, I just, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing this, but I believe that in Italy, they have some of the best longevity and they also have some of the highest rates of like daily alcohol use, cigarette use and stuff like that. But at, on the flip side of that, they also have some of the closest family ties and friendships, relationships and stuff like that. So it just goes to show that sometimes those social lubricants, like smoking, drinking, even though they're inherently bad for you, if they get you towards a, a higher goal, you know, like socializing, like being close with family and friends, it kind of trumps that. So again, with the use of alcohol, like, is it objectively bad for you? Yes. But if you have two or three drinks and have a really fun conversation that opens up your mind, then maybe that, maybe that canceled out. You know what I mean? So one of the other interesting things about life in terms of happiness and meaning is like, it's, it's always a balance. Some things are inherently pretty bad. Some things are inherently pretty good, but you have to think, well, is, is this one thing going to outweigh the other or not? Right. It's the, it's also like the quality versus quantity discussion. Like, mm -hmm. do you want to live an extra five years, but not die having had those memories mm -hmm. of the crazy night out with friends that probably wasn't great for your health, but was like, I don't know if defining moment in your life is the right phrase, but just something that it's a good reset. Yeah. And just was like, well, you'll look back on as having been important to you and that you'll always have, like, do you want to live longer or do you want to live better? And I don't know that it has to be one or the other. And in a lot of ways, like you were saying, maybe the living better can help to live longer just because it's more sustainable. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's all about the balance, I guess, at the end of the day. Another, an something else that, again, just being like unnecessarily deep and philosophizing, but something <laughs> that I've thought about is I read another really good book called The Lessons of History by Will Durant. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently and we were having that, again, one of those discussions that just will never have a finite um, point of conclusion in when you compare capitalism to socialism. And my point, and I don't necessarily feel firm on this, but what I gathered from the book was it's like, yes, in a perfect world, socialism makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, what was argued in the book and what I tend to agree with is like, capitalism has tons of inherent flaws. And there's a lot of greed and a lot of narcissism and a lot of just really immoral and poor behaviors. But I think that you kind of, because capitalism raises every, everything up to such an extent, like the argument was like people like Jeff Bezos or, you know, someone like that could easily say like, he's a piece of shit. He does this and that. And he exploits people. And it's like, 
for sure he does. I, I, not that I'm super well educated on any of that, but for sure, not everything he does is super moral or the right thing to do, but because he's elevating society, he's helping us to get more things. He's helping us. He's one of the people that's, that's on the, the frontiers of space exploration. So it's almost like you can't have that really, really, really high point of success in moving society towards new goals and new aspirations without some of the bad. So it's again, balancing there's tons of bad, but there's also way, way, way more good in a situation like that. It's kind of like when you hear about Steve Jobs too, you hear about how much of an asshole he was and how strict he was with his employees and how hard he was to work with. But he just had this vision that was so great that he he just probably accepted that I'm not going to be liked by everybody. I'm going to look like an asshole, but I'm going to actualize these these things that are really, really good for society and... I, there's going to be some bad that's going to come with it. Yeah. It, I remember seeing a talk about a talk from Jeff Bezos about blue origin, his space company or rocket company. And uh, the way he talks about it, it's like, this guy's not concerned and to an extent, maybe he should be more, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but with, you know, certain wages for employees like obviously he he's concerned with it but i it how deep and woke people get about the politics of somebody like jeff bezos and a company like amazon and how moral their practices are and the taxes they should be paying like um again i'm sure he thinks about these things i'm obviously he does but where his deeper priorities lie and why he's not going to get so caught up in those things to the extent that it does ruin his success or his company is because his mind is, you know, 30 to a hundred years in the future where he's concerned with getting the human race into space and the extending the lifespan of the species as a whole. So he's not going to get caught up in these minute issues of taxes because I don't know, I sound like I'm like encouraging tax evasion <laughs> and I'm definitely not, but it's just sort of, you can understand why this man has gotten to the level that he's at and why he's not constantly concerned with these more uh, what's the word mundane issues. Mm -hmm. And it's people, just kind of fascinating. People inherently have blinders on too. And it's hard to look anywhere closer than like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the past or in the future, which even that's a stretch, but you know, humanity he, I think Jeff Bezos is someone who can, can zoom out more. And he's like, what's humanity going to look like in 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years? That's what he is more focused on. And that's what's going to have a lasting impact. And you think about people who that you still hear quoted from the 1600s, the 1700s. That was only a few hundred years ago. But 99 point, you know, however many nines you want to say, those people get forgotten. But the people that get remembered are those people that had those really anti-conformist ideas and took stands and only in retrospect could we realize that, wow, they were actually really onto something. But it's just, it's the, 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 another one of the most important things to me is just to remain to some extent a skeptic and to remain a nonconformist because I don't think there's really much value in just going along with the status quo or being just someone who, I mean, in any respect, just accepts conformity and accepts just what the, the world's going to feed you because. There is, there is so many questions that don't have an answer. And again, it speaks to that innate human characteristic of you want to agree with people. You want to be liked by people. You want to feel like you're a part of a group. But 
you have to kind of be able to think outside that. And again, that's why I love books like Sapiens. I read uh, A Short History of Nearly Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson, which kind of goes through the whole course of how the earth was formed. And when you you read stuff like that and you think, oh, I'm going to be around for maybe 100 years, give or take. And people have been around for 200,000 years. The earth has been around for four and a half billion years. It just, it's not something you can ever get a grasp on, but it helps to at least try just to think, holy cow, like I'm such a minuscule thing. So to think that I have any answers that the world right now has any answers that are firm seems, seems crazy. Yeah. Wow. It's like our brains can't physically comprehend that level of time just because relative to what we are used to, it's on, it is unimaginable, but it helps to try, like you said, and to just understand that you can understand that kind of thing because it does help put things in such a stronger perspective. And it's like, you know, these small political arguments are only so meaningful in the grand scheme of my life, let alone the entire history of the universe. I, I heard this one fact once that it's like human history on earth, if it were, sorry, if the history of the earth were 24 hours, humans have existed for one second. Uh, which is like obviously like minuscule and it's funny because we think of human history as being this massive thing and it is this massive thing but relative to how long the world has existed and then relative to how long the universe has existed i don't know i'm, I'm getting way above my pay grade here but it, it definitely helps to put a job into perspective or a mm-hmm. po- political discussion and it goes back to again like your your comment about how we, you know, what, what is the purpose? You know, how do you go about gleaning meaning in life? And how do you look at delayed gratification? And it's like, again, because you have to realize that we are geared towards just looking in such the immediate context and using all these emotions to make decisions. We're definitely, people have to realize we're not geared towards a world that's safe and you can build equity and you can build wealth. Wealth was one of the biggest things that really changed humanity um, because, I think the first time that we ever came to terms with it was like farming where you could store food away for the winter. And this is why I think people are so bad with personal finance on the whole, because thinking about saving money for 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road is not, uh, it's not intuitive at all for people. People think about what can I buy with my money now? What can I spend a hundred dollars on and have something in my hand tomorrow? Whereas you don't think about how can I turn my hundred dollars into a thousand dollars in 30 or 40 years? That's just not, it's another one of those things where you have to kind of hack your mindset. And that's why I like talking about finances in addition to fitness, because they're two things where you just hack your mindset a little bit and go, I'm going to suffer now to have innumerable advantages in the future. And that is just one life lesson. I think that if everybody grasped even just a little bit could, could totally change everything. Sure. It's similar with like climate change too, where it's yeah, like absolutely hard to make certain decisions for the, I mean, even with finance and fitness, it's like, you're ultimately trying to benefit your future self. Whereas something like climate change, you, like people get, obviously people get frustrated because it's like devastating what what's happening, but it is understandable why people aren't making decisions to benefit two, three generations down the line who they may not even know because it's like sacrificing pleasures of our daily life now for something that we won't even see or experience. Mm -hmm. 
I've, I've heard of some study again, I'll be paraphrasing, but where people are a lot more likely to donate money to an underprivileged family in their neighborhood than they ever would to say like impoverished people in like Africa who are living in third world situations and don't have clean water and don't have this or that. And even if you can benefit someone like that 10 times more from your donation of money, people still inherently want to help people that are their neighbors because you can see that impact. You can feel that face to face, whereas that's more of an abstract thing. Like what's, what's a good example is whenever you see um, those, those Sarah McLaughlin commercials with the dogs <laughs> that everybody knows right. it's like, they show dogs that are injured and look sad and look defeated and, and broken down. Cause that's how they get money. You know, it's, it's a marketing tactic to some extent it's marketing for something positive. So I'm not saying that it's malicious or anything, but that's, you have to hack human emotion in that way in order to get to the outcome you want. You people are so innately just guided by emotion and feeling. And again, that's why I think when you talk about just being wrapped up and focused on the current moment, instead of looking years down the road, the news is another one of the best examples of that. Because 10 years ago, the news was all doom and gloom. And 10 years from now, it's still going to be all doom and gloom. And so I think that besides just being educated on what's going on in the world, you can't just get caught up with stuff like that because it's just, it's meant to hack your emotions in that way. Totally. And it almost, that almost touches on another discussion of, um, like, why are people philanthropic? Why do we do good things? And when you look at a situation like watching a Sarah McLaughlin uh, ASPCA commercial, it's like, when you ultimately give to a, ch you like call that number that you see on the screen and, and give them money, it's not necessarily because you're like, I care about this thing, like I'm trying to help. At, at a very core level, you could argue that it's because you have a feeling of guilt associated with seeing that kind of thing happening and you want to get rid of that feeling of guilt for yourself. Like I, I almost struggle personally with the idea that, and there's like a whole like friends episode on this. I don't know if you've ever watched friends, but it's, uh, they're arguing about whether or not there's any selfless good deed. And I, I don't know that there is, I don't know that it's a bad thing that there isn't, but ultimately like we are selfish creatures at our core and, and we're going to do what's in our best interest. And if we're experiencing a feeling of guilt or uh, immorality, like we want to feel better about that. And so giving, even if it's ultimately a positive thing, there is some level of selfishness to it. So it's, I, I almost struggle with like, well, what's the right way to think about that? And, mm -hmm. and is that wrong? Does that make everybody a bad person or does that make nobody a bad person? Because everybody is like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like, uh, have you heard of the book, the selfish gene by Richard Dawkins? No, that's basically what it's all about. I, I would not recommend it because it honestly gets kind of like dry and boring, but all you need to understand is just his point is we our selfish gene is that we just, we want to do whatever we can to pass our genes on. So his argument would be that when we're philanthropic, when we're kind to people in need, it's because we want other people to see that we're doing good and that we want other people to think we're good so that we're more attractive as a mate so that our genes have a better chance to pass on. And it's an interesting perspective. Again, I probably fall victim to not taking stances and just entertaining too many ideas, but it is another idea that it's hard to really firmly grasp and be like, oh, that, that has to be it. But it's another interesting thing to, to entertain. Sure. Well, it's, it's also funny that you even said that, that you're like, you fall victim to not 
taking yeah i guess i guess that is kind of a weird way to put it because like in a in a perfect world that's probably how we should be but it's it's not how most people are right especially in politics it's like you if you don't take a stance you're weak or you're you're unfair or you're immoral whereas if you can kind of look at an issue like abortion or um I don't know. That's a, a, a perfect example because there are definitely two strong sides to it. And if you're not, you're sort of just pushed by society to take one stance or the other. Whereas you look at it objectively, it's a complicated issue and it, it, both sides feelings are valid. So why do you have to say, this is my opinion on this issue? Why can't you just like, I, I don't know, I guess as far as what we do with it, maybe it helps to take a firm stance, but uh, if you're not, I don't really even know where I'm going with this. I just think it's not unreasonable to say, I don't have a strong opinion. I see both sides. Like these, this is, I can recognize these facts and know that maybe I'm not an expert on this topic. And so yeah. not really my place to say, this is what should be done about it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have to jet here pretty soon, but maybe we'll have to do like a part two. Cause I feel like we have plenty that we could still talk about. <laughs> it's getting deep. Yeah. yeah. But I think that the way that I would respond to that is it reminds me of meditation practice again. It's like, you should try your best to get at the truth. And people are really bad at that because again, it helps you to glean on to an opinion or to a side helps you helps with that tribal feeling that we all have of being a part of, Oh, I want to be a conservative. I want to be a liberal. And to shed that is really difficult because it makes you vulnerable. But I think that what you realize through meditation is I just want to get to the truth and whatever is the most honest representation of the truth. And to me, it goes back to, again, balancing, there's always going to be a lot of bad, but if there's good, that's even, even going to be higher than that. When you, when you weigh things out, then that's the, the choice you have to go with for me. And it's hard for people to look at objective truth when they don't even agree, agree on like what the metrics are, like the abortion example, different people would agree on where life starts. And that's a subjective answer. And people would disagree on, is it just the woman's choice? Or does it have to do with partly the man who it's also his child? It's like, there's, there's so many subjective um, things like that to look at. I think it's really, really important and an endlessly something you can go your whole life without accomplishing, but really trying to figure out how do I get to the truth? How do I get about, get to overcoming those innate human emotions and feelings that are driving the way that I think and look to things as how are they actually going to play out to the best of my knowledge? Yeah. Wow. Very well said. Yeah, I will have to, uh, you yeah. want to do this again in, in a few days or next week. And maybe we do like a part two. That sounds awesome. Maybe we can just have a uh, special abortion episode. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. That would, that would really <laughs> That's risky. The audience will love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have to hit you up after this, but uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it. And thank you personally on there.